you are listening to Post Growth Australia podcast, the podcast where better is definitely better than bigger. Welcome back to PGAP. Hope you're all doing well. So last episode, I decided to focus on spirituality, which I guess on the surface doesn't seem to fit into the whole notion of post-growth. But I do feel that if we are to change the very fabric in which we live, something needs to change, something more than scientific rationality. So whether that's a shift in consciousness, whether that's doing more mindfulness, whether that's just reconnecting with nature, who knows? But I thought at some point we better go that deep. Um, so last episode I was interviewing Darpan. Whilst I was doing that, I uh, met up with an old friend, Jim Valario. I hope I got your surname right, Jim. Um, I am terrible with surnames, which makes me a terrible podcast host. It's definitely a weakness. Um, who I hadn't seen since the days of Peru, and we met up in Gippsland around January. Uh, he helps people with uh, trauma and integration, uh, a lot of one-on-one -on -one self-work through the modalities of spiritualism and um, I guess I'd say shamanism as well. I, I decided to interview with him and release both these episodes at the same time. Uh, but I'll say at this point, um, stick around next week or in next fortnight uh, for my next interview, which will be with Leif Van Onselen from Macro Business, <laughs> a very different kind of interview. To start off, I thought I would play the a very brand new meditation uh, done by one of my other dear friends, Mark Allen, who runs Holistic Activism. And I thought I'd better bring up Holistic Activism uh, because it very in keeping with these it, these interviews. It's all about aligning activism um, with a shift of consciousness. And Mark has been working in this path for another couple of years. Indeed, many of the many of my own opinions and things that I've been saying have been shaped by uh, my own work in the whole holistic activism. So what I thought I might do is I just might describe what holistic activism is on the website before we move into a shortened version of the meditation and then jump straight into the interview with uh, Jimmy. So what is holistic activism? How can we reduce conflict among activists and create campaigns that are long lasting whilst also reaching out and connecting with people who have different values to that of our own? Also, how can we do this in a manner that does not enable us to continue to repeat the mistakes of history? Holistic activism recognises that traditional forms of activism are reactive in the way that they mostly tackle the symptoms of deeper issues. Whilst this is not a bad thing, we believe that it is important to peel the onion back a layer and tackle those deeper issues whilst also tackling the symptoms. This is why holistic activism is about developing a united and comprehensive movement of movements that is systemic and behavioural change at its very core. We recognise that we will not overcome the climate and ecological emergency with the same thinking that led us into it. We also recognise that we do not want to replace the system that we have, 
now with one that starts off with good intentions yet ends up with the same ecological and social outcomes. So thank you. That was from the Holistic Activism website and I'll now play the meditation. activism guided meditation. There will be a few minutes of speaking followed by six minutes of drumming. You do not have to absorb or listen to everything or anything that I say. You can come back to this meditation many times, so there is no right or wrong way about how you approach this. Each time you listen to this meditation, the journey you take will be different. It cannot be any other way. Feel free to simply accept whatever journey this takes you on. I invite you to breathe slowly. Take some long, deep exhalations and relax into the space. Feel free to focus on allowing yourself to feel acceptance with where the world is right now at this very moment. This includes all of the pain and all of the beauty. You do not have to think about it. Just feel it. Accept that right now you do not have to know anything. And you do not have to have any judgments about anything. Simply be aware of your presence. Everything from your breathing, all the way to any sensations that you may be feeling in your body. Right now, everything in the universe is as it is, and you can relax into the space and accept it all without judgment. There is always solace and peace in this space, even if you cannot feel it now. It is the peace that lies in pure awareness, We used to dwell here a lot, but as we have grown older, we have spent less time here. This is because we have been taught that we are our minds, when in reality our minds are only part of who we are. We are also the awareness that lies outside of thought. This is what the medieval poet Rumi describes as the green field that lies before right and wrong. To fully know and feel this green field is the first step of holistic activism. 
It is about being present, embracing uncertainty, complexity and acceptance. It is only by fully accepting something that we can start to transform it. And by fully accepting ourselves and the wider world, we will feel less inclined to pass our pain onto others or enable them to pass their pain onto us. This is why step two is about breaking the cycle of pain. And step three is about looking for the common grounds that we share and building upon that. These steps help build an activism that is rooted in connection rather than conflict. Let's start the process of applying these first three steps. Take a deep breath and exhale slowly. Now imagine a beautiful place in nature and make yourself feel comfortable. Marvel in wonderment at the complexity of the nature that you see and feel here. And relax into knowing that this is greater than your mind can encapsulate. And that simply being the observer and watching the world unfold is perfection. This is your space. You are safe here. feel immersed in this presence. Welcome back to Post Growth Australia podcast. Thanks for joining us, Jimmy. And um, you're here to discuss the role of spirituality in activism and reimagining a new world. How are you, Jim? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking, Michael. How would you describe a little bit about um, the work that you do or, or the love that you do, should I say? It's not just all work, is it? No, it's, uh, yeah, it's something that I absolutely hold dearly to my heart. Um, yeah, it took me a little while to, to find my path. And uh, once I've found that path, I, uh, I feel like I'm just gliding. Um, but uh, as in a description, um, I would say uh, Gold Cap Integration Network is focused on helping people uh, integrate, right? So um, it could be through uh, different traumatic experiences that people have had in their lives, or maybe um, uh, experiences with uh, plant medicines or different entheogens in whatever context. Um, sometimes these things open open us up, and and uh, we we like to uh, help people make sense of these uh, things. So we prepare people. We um, also help them with the uh, you know. Well, essentially, it's preparing people for the experience, and then we help them integrate afterwards. So that's what our primary focus is. And, you know, with everything going on in the world today, you know, there's a lot of protests and a lot of different things. I encourage a lot of people to protest at home by going inside of themselves and working on themselves. 
Now, we first met by uh, protesting internally uh, about five years ago in Peru. Uh, we were both at a 10-day healing retreat. I can't say that neither of us had a boring time. Um, <laughs> we both had a very interesting time. Um, myself, I remember sharing with everyone at the end of that and mm. I'd come to a realisation that activism without conscious shifting is like rearranging the deck chairs of the Titanic. Uh, right. it, it, it's sort of a few things that um, Alan Watts has said, you know, doing without the internal is a bit like, you know, um, <laughs> running around like a headless chicken sometimes. Mm. And I remember talking to you um, and you were on the cusp of, you know, I, I being part of the business capitalist world and soon after that experience um you know your life changed fairly dramatically so um it, this links into post-growth you know about the traumas and ills of of capitalism and mm. and things like that and um, where the internal work manifests in uh, an outward expression so do you want to talk a little bit about your transition because it's a really interesting story i think yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I would love to. Um, well, I grew up in the United States, if you can't tell from the accent. Um, so I uh, grew up in Kentucky and also California. And in Kentucky is a uh, part of the South, which if you're from the United States, you'll know that it's very conservative. And, uh, you know, bless my parents, my grandparents' heart, uh, but they were, they had plans for me. And their plans were to, um, you know, make a businessman out of me, to, um, uh, you know, they wanted to see me in a suit and a clean shaved face and nice slick back hair and uh, making a lot of money. And uh, it just wasn't, uh, at that time, I thought that that was my correct path. And I definitely went into that. I succeeded, got the t-shirt, you know, and um, I just found out later on that I, it wasn't for me. Um, and how that came about was uh, you know, I was working as a sale. I was in sales for about 13 years of my life. I started off in the mortgage industry. Uh, the mortgage industry tanked in 2008. Um, as most of you guys know, the economy uh, globally actually was um, in the shit. And so I uh, ended up um, just really uh, trying to strategize and, and find a, a way to find a recession proof job. And that was in technology. You know, I was making all this this money and uh, I was married to a wonderful woman. Um, I had a house in California. I had the, the cars, the everything you can possibly think of that we were told to aim for. And for some odd reason, I still felt like uh, I was depressed. I felt like there wasn't sustenance to my life, if that makes sense. Around that time, I was pretty much an atheist. I grew up in a Catholic church, and uh, at an early age, I was rejected um, through the church. I was going to go get my Holy Communion, um, which is like a it's like a rite of passage, I guess you would call for Christ, uh, for Catholicism. Right away, I, I found that I was just abandoned uh, by them, and and what happened was is that uh, that turned me not against uh, Christianity or anything like that, but I just didn't really resonate with it anymore. And I abandoned it. Whenever I was at Verizon Wireless, I decided uh, that I was suffering so much that I would say a prayer. And uh, this was not like me, you know? Um, so I just said out loud and I was sitting there on my knees and I was just like, you know, if there is a God, I don't know what you are, what this is. 
um, but I need help. I, I desperately need a lot of help right now. The help came, but I was too sleepy or unconscious to actually see the help that was coming. Um, and as we both know, and as some of your listeners probably know, um, that these lessons, they can compound essentially. Um, the universe ends up showing, wants to show us things. It wants to give us this word that uh, Christians use, they call it grace. Um, it's trying to give it to us, but if we're not awake enough to see it, then it compounds and gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And one day it showed up um, with, some, with a, a robbery, and that robbery was at my job. And this robbery, without going into any you know, details or anything, but it was violent, and it left PTSD, and I went into a very dark place. I used meditation. Uh, to get myself and, and break those cyclical cycles and the thinking of what I could do, what I could have done, even though I made it out alive. Um, and I broke that. And then um, other teachers started coming into my life. And then that's where I decided that when I had my first experience down in the Amazon with, with you, uh, I knew that there was just something, something to this to this world that was different and that my path was no longer in business and sales that it was to uh, be of service so as we all know we're living in a pretty twisted um, capitalist paradigm it's mm. um, neoliberalism is based on uh, infinite growth on a finite planet um, of which more and more extraction uh, goes into the hands of fewer and fewer people mm. um, with a larger and larger customer base. <laughs> I was talking to Derek Jensen, an, an author author of Endgame, and he was talking about um, the trauma response of humans and indeed animals, like mm. um, a lot of the misbehaviour that we see in animals is uh, could be construed as a trauma response to displacement and, um, um, and you know, being refugees in their own homes. So, look, I just wanted to bring it to, for someone who deals with a lot of trauma, is, is, is there a spiritual response to the growth at all cost paradigm that we live in? And what's the balance between the activism, which is trying to change external factors and... Um, yeah, the risk of making a duality of it, the spiritual experience, which is going within and changing oneself. You know, from my experience, um, we are all a product of what we learn. You know, there's a, there, there's an interesting way of thinking about this. And if you, which I'm sure that uh, everybody here listening has had some sort of a, uh, an experience with another human being of being treated in a, in a uh, very foul way. Um, the way I, I look at these things and, and I used to not look at this, I used to, have to take a, like a victim kind of stance, like I'm a victim, you know, and, oh, this person did this to me, but, um, we have to think about what happened to that person. Um, what, how did they, how did they come to learn this, this type of behavior? Um, and it's like, you know, for instance, if, uh, there is a, a man and a woman that are married and the man, uh, it becomes abusive. Uh, that man um, was once a baby. And that baby did not say or know that it was going to grow up and beat his wife. Right. So um, there was a learn. There was something there that was learned. And uh, usually it comes down to 
perhaps his father uh, may have done or grandfather or somebody had treated him in this way. And he grew up with these faculties to think that that's okay to do to other people. It's, it's deep inside of him. So there's a, uh, a very, it's all about conditioning. I mean, this is something that, um, I mean, I'm sure you know a lot about, you know, conditioning is, is a very serious matter. In Christianity, they talk about this, um, but they talk about compassion. Uh, also in Buddhism, they talk about it. In Hinduism, compassion is a, a really big key. So there's an element to uh, not uh, responding right away as to, you know, that person's uh, terrible, right? Uh, it's more of like, wow, you know, what happened to this person for them to think that that was okay to do this? And when we actually stop and we uh, sit down with that individual and we talk to them calmly and we ask them questions, there's some magical things that can actually happen from, these, from this because they're actually crying out for help. And I was just wondering if we could apply this on scale, like mm. a dominant culture yeah. that is hell-bent on expanding itself by gnawing and consuming uh, everything around it by subjugating every animal, plant, indigenous mm. culture that tries in its past, or for more materialism yeah. and uh, GDP growth that in the pursuit of happiness, which just makes itself miserable anyway. So collectively, we're all like um, shrieking miserably at each other while we miserably destroy everything around us. So is this trauma on scale? Yeah, I would say so. You know, um, I always try to look at uh, other species. Um, you know, we can look at ants, right? And uh, it... You know, a lot of times people say, oh, that's just an ant mound. But in, actual, in all actuality, it's a, it's a city. It's a complex. It's a society, actually. And if you look at what they're doing, um, it's very, you know, it, it, from my perspective, it looks very primitive, right? It looks very primitive there. Um, but when you get down into that, if you, you know, I've had some experiences where I've taken my consciousness down into those levels. And I've, uh, I've got an understanding of... Um, why it is that we do what we do. And it, it's all about uh, this primitive thinking. It's like a reptilian brain that's, that's come, uh, that, that's purging right now, right? So we're at a, what are we, like 7.8 billion people on this planet now? Something like that? Yeah, yeah, you pretty much hit the exact number on the yeah. head there. Well done, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't need any more humans, I would say. We're just hell-bent on growth because uh, that's the way capitalism is structured. You know, if we don't grow, then, um, then we fail. Uh, that's the way I've seen, especially coming from the United States. This is a big problem. Uh, where we need 100% growth year over year. Um, we need to invest in stocks so that way our money is working for us and that's growing. Uh, we need to uh, invest in our workforce so that way we're growing that as well. We need to, yeah, there's just so many different things that are involved there. And uh, I think it all has to do with survival. You know, it's a survival mechanism. Um, it, it's, if, if, we, if we grow and we protect and we build these buildings and these walls and uh, all these different things, then we'll be able to protect our society. And there's a uh, probably some other things that at work here as well. You know, there's some businessmen that know that the bigger the economy is, or the bigger the the, or the more cogs in the machine, the more money will be uh, made by taxation, right? 
So uh, yeah, they want it to grow. It's a big business is what it is. It's why we have nine to five jobs. I mean, not a lot of people think about this, but if you think about how our schooling is structured, right? Think about uh, in the United States, our schooling is set up to where you go to preschool and then you're in school for 12 more years after that. So you have 13 years of this very structured, uh, you know, very structured days. So we are completely uh, enamored with work. We're constantly working. We're like almost like drone like and breaking out of that is not easy, man. Uh, it wasn't easy for me anyway. Uh, when we met in January, you know, it was just after the bushfires and um, we we were in West Gippsland and we were kind mm. of looking into, it was in the distance, but it was a kind of like an ashy <laughs> veneer to the air and an ashen landscape. Nonetheless, um, you shared that your outlook for the future is one of optimism. Mm. Um, so I'm curious as to what a vision of the future might be uh, in mm. terms of how we might relate to each other and how society may operate mm. if we are successful in um, breaking our traumas and becoming more um, spiritually aware. Due to, you know, w with the, the fires and uh, a lot of the um, ecological challenges and the economical challenges that are here, um, I think that I'll, a lot of us are, are going through a very challenging time. And within these challenging times, it shows us what we are not. Um, it shows us what we are capable of being, but whenever we uh, enter into that space, um, we it's basically like the, the darkness shows us our light. It's there to remind us who we really are. And I think that through these times, we become more empathetic. Um, that's a really big part of being human. Being empathetic and understanding that it's not just about us. We don't need to stockpile toilet paper. Uh, we need to actually share toilet paper. We need to share food. We need to grow food and give it away. And that, that's a really big part of that. I think that's what's going to come from this, actually, is empathy. Um, it's actually come for me. I try to, I give away a lot of things um, just because I can tell, I can sense when people really need assistance. Now, there are still people out there. Let's say, for instance, the 1% of the world, right, which happened to be in the United States. And there's a lot elsewhere uh, in the world, but there's the uh, an abundance of them in the United States where they are. They have billions and billions of dollars and the scales are completely off balance. Right. So now you have in the United States, there's uh, I think don't quote me on this, but I think it was uh, 20 to 30 million people that are unemployed. Right. So now you have people like Elon Musk. Now you have people like, uh, I think, what's his name? Jeff, uh, the guy that um, is a CEO of Amazon. I think he's like the richest man on the planet now. And then you have Bill Gates. I don't understand uh, how that they can just be sitting on this mound of money while all these other people are struggling to have a bite. This doesn't add up to me at all. There's no empathy there. Maybe they are doing something. I don't sit there with them on a day-to-day -day basis and say, you know, see what they're doing, right? Maybe they are. I don't know. But uh, it seems to me that we're really off balance, and that means that we're we're lacking empathy. And as we grow through this, uh, we're going to be there for our neighbors. And I think that's the most important part about being human is being there for each other. But not only for the humans, all of the species, all beings. Um, you know, in the forest fires, there was a lot of uh, 
animals that that really suffered uh, quite a bit. And um, we need to start looking after them because if it's going to be a lonely world if man is just by himself. I'm kind of outing myself uh, on this podcast as a um, as one of my activism friends calls me. Oh, you're one of those namaste people. So uh, <laughs> I'm outing myself as a namaste. Mm. Uh, um, but I, I find I, I'm living in two worlds sometimes. Like, um, mm. for, for example, with that um, perception that I get from the activists that um, that if you do this work you risk spiritual bypassing and and then in the spiritual realms um i found it difficult to communicate my activism because i i suppose i felt i was bringing the mood down and i suppose one example of of one thing that i see now that i i feel slightly unsettled with um i've been saying for years like um intensive animal agriculture um isn't a good idea because it will probably lead to a superbug one day. In part, given the means to enact policies for good and or bad, I'm sure there's opportunism in here at least, to restrict people's freedoms. I suppose how do you balance the personal freedoms with looking out for the community when this is something we haven't been trained to do. So we're offshoring it to, you know, a centralised government to (laughs) do that work for us with all its implications. So I'm going, oh, great. So now it's impacting you. Now you're an activist. So I I was just wanting Mm. to get your insight into this, whether there is a risk of spiritual bypassing or inertia in the movement. Should there be a balance? Or do you think, regardless, you know, the internal work is the most important? You know, one of of the uh, wise sages of of, uh, our time, he's he's since passed, but uh, Ram Das talks about spiritual bypassing quite a lot. And um, he talks a, a little bit uh, in this one, I think he was on a podcast or something like this, but he was talking about, um, you know, when somebody passes, right? Like say for some, like for instance, somebody passes away that you're really close to. Um, it's very easy for a spiritual individual to say, well, you know, I'll see them after whenever I'm gone, you know, whenever I, I, I cross over. Uh, so they don't really feel into the grieving, right? So they just kind of bypass that and just say, oh, you know, it's okay. Death is, you know, uh, eternal. That doesn't exist, all of these things. But they're completely avoiding the human experience, right? That human experience is grieving, is crying, is feeling that despair or the the actual guilt that comes from losing somebody and thinking that we could have done something uh, to prevent it and whatnot. Um, You know, whatever comes up is exactly what we need to feel. So I think that whenever we enter into these spiritual realms, um, for me anyway, it's alleviated a lot of fear. And that fear uh, has been around, uh, you know, death. That's the actual root of my fear is death. Um, But when we start to wake up and we start to see a lot of the um, pitfalls uh, within our society that have been created there and are staying there to oppress, then we start to uh, really want to push back because now we're we're having the human experience, right? So now we're actually feeling it and we're not bypassing it and we're not as fearful of the government or of 
whatever entity it is that that is uh, creating the oppression, and then we start to revolt, you know, or or try to uh, come up with certain ways like petitions and or uh, these protests and whatnot to to help alleviate, and that's important. I have a feeling, you know, um, I feel like this this planet, this Earth, is a uh, classroom or even a playground, if you will. And many souls have come here to evolve. And if we don't get our act together, then uh, the souls in the future are going to have a harder and harder time to learn whatever it is they need to learn to grow. And uh, that's the way I look at it as I'm here to protect the uh, ones that are going to come after me, uh, you know, as far as my uh, if I'm to have any children or anything like this, which I am set to have a child here in March. Um, but now it's even more like a fire is lit underneath my ass to, you know, not go to these protests because I need to be a father. I need to be here with my partner to support her through this pregnancy. But uh, now it's how do I protect this child? So that way this child is, stays awake and isn't exposed to the conditioning that I was exposed to so that way they can clean this planet up and start to heal now we talked about many souls on this planet we uh, agreed there's about 7.8 billion uh souls at the moment and um we also <laughs> uh discussed you've got a child on the way so um last question but i'm ask everyone in part because you know this podcast has been made possible in part by Sustainable Population Australia, which is all about providing access to family planning services, empowering women, um, encouraging a, a culture of smaller families for environmental reasons. Um, now, I, I suppose in environmental reasons, you know, you've got <laughs> the left arguing each other, whereas if it's per capita consumption or um, how many of us, which uh, is a debate that will <laughs> never end. Um, yeah. In spirituality, you, you know, this, this <laughs> is compounded by additional factors such as human consciousness and um, perhaps even predeterminism. Um, I have chosen, I think, um, not to pass on my genes for environmental reasons that the planet doesn't need to bear more of me. Um, and I think my uh, future child would have a better time as a floating fractal in the astral realm than it would have as a human on this plane. Um, that's a judgment yeah. call I've made. But everyone has a unique perspective on this issue. And what's yours? And by yeah. the way, it's completely okay to disagree. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, at one point I, uh, was very committed to not, uh, procreating. Um, I, I didn't, I was, I was in agreement with this. Um, but I also didn't want to take precautions to go against something that was unnatural. So, you know, Alan Watts talks about, um, and I always talk about this with, with my clients, but, um, you know, yeah, Alan Watts coined the, the, the quote, he said, you can't have an intelligent species without an intelligent environment. And, um, you know, right now in this point in history, the fertility rate has actually gone way down for some odd reason. I don't think anybody's like aiming for this. Um, but for some reason, if you look at uh, the data and the, the statistics, that it does show that the fertility rate has gone down. 
Um, so like there's a lot of healing behind it too, in regards to this procreation that I find myself within, um, where my thinking has completely changed. It's not, it's no longer, um, uh, about me. It's, it's literally, how do I protect this child? Um, how do I keep this child awake? Um, how do I, uh, not keep it in a bubble, but how do I, um, give it a chance to, to help this, this planet, uh, get to where it needs to go. Um, because right now, you know, as a, as a species, uh, I think that the majority of us are quite confused. Um, and when you look at a child, um, when they come onto this planet, I'm sure you've been around quite a bit of babies, especially now since Corona has been here, it's like a big boom. Um, so, uh, when you look at a, a little girl, a little boy, they have this um, sense of innocence to them. You know, you look, look at them in their eyes and you can really see that they're full of love. They're very curious. They don't really care what anybody thinks like most of us do. Um, and we uh, can learn so much from them. They are little gurus, if you will. They're little teachers. And uh, whenever I, I learned this actually whenever uh, I was actually in a shopping center in the United States one time. And this is right when I started my path, whenever I started, you know, to quote unquote, wake up. And uh, I remember seeing a little kid uh, screaming in the aisle with his mom. And his mom wasn't really just like, I guess it was normal for him. But he was kind of like screaming, but he wasn't crying. He was like pulling up his shirt. He was picking his nose. He was like doing all this crazy stuff and like just throwing a, the biggest tantrum. But he, he just did not care. He did not care. Uh, and then literally that same time, uh, that same day, I walked down another aisle and then there was a little girl that was just dancing freely, like just dancing around to the music that was playing. I think it was like Phil Collins or something like this that was playing over the intercom. And it was like this child dancing to this song that she has no idea what it is, but she liked it so much that she was just dancing. And I think that's why we're here. You know, I've, I've have a feeling that we're here to, to dance to this music that's being played. And a lot of us have forgotten how to play. We've been told that we're adults, but I think we're just children, um, just trying to figure figure our way. So um, to answer your question, you know, I don't think there's any, you know, I, I don't disagree with you uh, at all. I, I feel as though things change w within each one of us and the universe is going to give us exactly what we need at whatever time that may be. Well, I think if anyone's going to be a father, I'm glad that it's you, Jimmy. <laughs> and who knows, maybe by the decades up, I might be do a complete 360 and have a little nest of my own. Um, I can't see that happening, but as we yeah. all know, uh, life in the universe does funny things. And if we're all here to dance, Very then 7.8 billion of us is one hell of a synchronicity event. If people would like to keep abreast of the fantastic work that you do and fantastic is an understatement mm. uh, where can they go to find out more about you yeah it's pretty simple actually um so we're on uh our, our biggest um well our the place the best place you can find us is on goldcapintegration.com um, you can also go to facebook and look up goldcap integration network um, there's a group there of about it's about 1800 people um, it's a thriving group where people can be very open with each other. Um, it's screened very well. So that way, um, 
you know, when people are open and they're there to integrate an experience they've had, um, they can uh, do that without feeling any sort of judgment or anything like that. Um, but yeah, those two places are the best places to find us. Great. We'll definitely check it up. And thank you so much for coming on the PGAP podcast, Jim. It was a utter pleasure having you on.